Welcome to the DevReady Podcast. Today we've got Mira Mikosik, the CEO and founder of Simple Chic. Welcome, Mira. Hello, Anthony, and thank you for the opportunity to join today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll let you introduce Simple Chic and what you do, because I think you'll do a better explanation of it than I can, so I'm far away. Uh, my pleasure. So my name is Mira Mikosik. As Anthony mentioned, I'm the founder and CEO of Simple Chic uh, Women. Um, we originally started Simple Chic in response to some of the devastation that was happening around the world um, within the fashion industry. Um, and at its core, we were looking to actually solve um, three three key problems. Uh, as, as you may be aware, there is a tremendous amount of overproduction and over, overconsumption. So the first solve for us was around really reducing uh, textile waste and the sheer volume of textile waste uh, going straight to landfill. Um, the second was also around the type of textiles we were using. Um, and over you know a number of decades with industrialization, um, over 60% of the clothing we wear today is actually um, made of plastic or it's um, you know polyester, uh, man-made fibers derived from fossil fuel, um, which is obviously not good for our, our skin or our or our planet. So um, in addition to reducing textile waste, we really wanted to go back to man-made fibers to eliminate um, the microplastics going into all of our different ecosystems. And then thirdly, it was really centered around solving some key problems that have been within the industry for women. Uh, and they are twofold. So 80% of the garment workers across the globe uh, in the industry are actually women. A lot of those women are actually subject to slave labor, you know, poor working conditions, um, and also all sorts of toxins as well in terms of um, you know, the materials and fabrics that are being dyed and used, um, and a lot of them really um, not even receiving the minimum, you know, um, minimum or even a living wage. So we wanted to solve for, um, you know, bringing to light some of the conditions that those women were having and really look at how we can actually create a system that um, is also solving uh, for the end user, which is absolutely ridiculous. So although there is a lot of personalization everywhere for uh, customers, um, but this is, you know, one industry that really doesn't um, almost ignores customers' needs because it's so top-down driven um, by all of the designers producing the clothes and what the designers actually want versus what the customer may need at different life stages and so on. So really eliminating textile waste, um, having a more personal and customer-centric approach and really putting an end to microplastics. Yep. Okay. So there's some really important things there that you're trying to tackle. Yeah. With how you said that the fashion industry sort of ignores customers and it's more of a top-down approach. Is that just to keep like the fashion cycles moving? Otherwise, people wouldn't be changing as much. Is that basically yes. where it comes from? You know, I, I think the industry abs absolutely. You know, um, the industry is, you know, actually, even if I step back, and even it's not just this industry. You know, we live in a very capitalist world, and you know that for a number of decades has really ignored you know people and environment, and has a very um, you know, profit at all cost and ongoing a need to increase, you know, revenues year over year over year. So the fashion industry is no different. 
So it was forever looking to see how it can continue to increase those revenues. And in doing so, um, you know, traditionally in the industry would only have, you know, um, two to three seasons in terms of um, new clothing that would be brought to the market. Uh, with the introduction of fast fashion uh, business models in the last, you know, um, really two or more decades, um, brands such as, you know, H&M, uh, Zara, uh, Sheen more recently um, have actually turned all of that uh, those seasons on its head. So they're actually producing just this set, you know, beyond saturation amount of clothing where they're producing new designs basically on a weekly basis. And so they have very much a, a volume-based model trying to push as much volume to the end customer and for them at the least possible cost. And how they do that is by really cutting corners, not not paying the workers um, and not, not being responsible for the governance or um, how those workers are actually looked after globally through their supply chains, and also looking at the cheapest possible fabrics that can actually be um, used, you know, to minimise the cost uh, cost per unit, um, and that you know through that they actually just default to um, the man made fibres which are quickly produced and you know least costly but harmful to people and environment. Okay, so that's more. Um them just trying to drive profit and then looking at anything else that a customer actually wants or needs. Do you think Precisely. there's any, any sort of interaction there from the customer backwards about wanting some sort of individuality or their own look or feel to it? Or is it more I, driven the other way? Because it, it can be seen both ways, I guess, but mm. it's probably predominantly driven by the industry. Predominantly driven by the industry. It's very um, you know design-led and label-led. And obviously the media has a lot to do with that as well. And social media in terms of has obviously um, not helped that in terms of just women being seen in different, you know, um, you know, types of clothing. And this philosophy of, you know, not being um, seen to be wearing the same thing twice. So I think there is a whole, you know, ecosystem of players who perpetuate this uh, consumer need for over over consumption um, more so than what they need and I think um, at the heart of it the fact that customers are basically you know purchasing on you know in Australia we're one of the Australia is the second highest consumer of clothing in the world after the US um, which is just crazy so on averaging on average purchasing around 27 kilos annually and then sending 23 kilos um, to charity shops to landfill every year. Um, and I think part of the, the problem is that um, customers can't, you know, there, there is so much out there. But the irony is it's like a needle in the haystack. So when uh, women or men try to actually, or women in particular, try to actually find something that they need, even when they do have money, it really is, you know, uh, a needle in a haystack. So there's so much consumer time is actually wasted in going to retail stores, trying to actually find that simple black skirt or that's, you know, a simple pair of uh, trousers. Or if it's not, and there has been a shift to online, online purchasing, um, in part for women because they also 
um, are so embarrassed around, you know, the size issue. So, you know, going from fitting room to fitting room and even just finding that, you know, there is no parity in sizing. So it's safer almost and less um, confronting for them to actually just shop online. Um, And what's perpetuated that is, um, you know, brands are more than happy to accept the returns. Yeah, I think I, I like that sizing issue is something I can. I know that's an in, uh, an issue in the fashion industry. I haven't really considered all the the points that you're tackling in as part of your business. So the yeah. only thing that comes to mind is sweatshops. You would think of like all right, Nike used to use sweatshops in the '90s or whatever that common term that people used to say was, but I didn't know that it's at that level. Like as a developer and someone who writes code, we have standards that we follow, and when you write code in a certain language, it has to be written a certain way. So yes. I expect there to be a sort of standardization in, 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 in an industry. When you look at the fashion, just as myself, I can be a triple extra large in something and a large in something else. Yes. It just doesn't and make sense. No. And, and when you think about, you know, how, well, how has that happened? Well, a couple of things have happened. Um, in the 1970s, sizing standards were actually introduced. Uh, uh, you know, across the world, basically. So sizing, sizing standards were introduced. But, you know, um, that's over, you know, half a century ago, 50 years ago. And over that 50-year period, um, the human race, in term, whether you're male or female, our bodies have actually changed over time. Um, and obviously fast food has not helped. Um, living a more sedentary life, you know, in office um, mm-hmm. and sitting down all the time has certainly not helped it. The, uh, the body shapes that have evolved. Um, but what also happened is, um, so you have a standard that was introduced in the 70s, but it has never been reevaluated. So what brands ended up doing also, <laughs> which is certainly not customer-centric, if anything, it, what it's done is um, created more confusion. Individual brands chose to deviate from those standards. So that's why today um, you go into one store, you know, and it might be in a shopping center and the stores might be next door to each other. Uh, a size 12 will fit a particular way, but you'll go in the next door and try on a size 12 and it'll be too large or too small. So it creates, I think, uh, a big consumer pain point um, and, you know, yet another pain point um, in terms of just not being able to find what you actually need at a given time, even though you, you may have the money to spend. Yeah, it, it, it's a huge frustration. I see it within my mm-hmm. family and myself as well. Now, so Simple Chic is a platform you've built together. How has that platform, or what's the value proposition for anyone using the platform? How would you bring people into the platform to try and solve these issues? Just so everyone gets an idea of what you're trying to achieve. Yes. So, um, so Simple Chic is basically an e-commerce platform. Um, which is working through um, what we would term as an on-demand model Um, and very much um, from a systemic point of view has a circular fashion approach to it. So really keeping clothing as long as possible within within the, you know, ecosystem before it actually goes to, to landfill. Um, has to be part of the solution in terms of restoring and regenerating, you know, our planet back versus sending everything to landfill. So we believe in um, ha- making things on demand as and when customers need that. So how does that relate in terms of personalization? 
and um, what we actually offer. Well, we offer clothing that's actually made on demand. Uh, so based on you know customer needs in terms of whether it's fabric or whether it's um, their particular sizing uh, and shape. Um, we have uh, designers on the platform uh, who are part of our community who basically only create clothing on demand, you know, made to order. And we feel that that has to be part of the starting point. So if you are actually looking at something new, well, let's make it right for you at the at the outset. Um, through the platform, um, the on-demand model also extends to ensuring that um, we don't actually just, um, we utilize more fully what we also already have in our wardrobe. So if we have something that's in our wardrobe that no longer fits, you know, how, how can customers upcycle that or um, potentially redesign it or alter or repair it to extend the life of the clothing? You, you're not um, a typical founder that we respect to as a non-tech. You've had a bit of a background in some corporate history in being able to get to this point and develop your platform. Um, yes. I know you've got some unique challenges you have to try. You're solving with these with this um, platform and you can have probably a lot of challenges trying to educate people on these issues. Uh, but what steps have you taken to build the platform and what, like, what sort of learnings did you take from your corporate career when approaching the, this build to get to this point? No, that's a great question, um, Anthony. Um, I might just touch a, a little bit on my corporate background. Um, yeah, so my corporate, yeah, my corporate background is um, has always been uh, a very customer set centric um, roles are the ones that I've um, taken. So, having um, led product development, marketing, and digital transformation. Um, so, always, um, you know, coming from a customer centric point uh, approach, it was always, you know, leveraging, um, you know, qual quant data and customer behavioral data to really optimize that whole customer experience and the product proposition. So um, the use of data and predictive modeling has always been at the core. So even if I just give an example of, you know, one of my e early roles, um, I was working in the eyewear and eye care industry for a, um, one of Australia's biggest player, um, you know, 300, 400 retail stores across Australia and New Zealand. And we had a um, you know database of um, at that time over two million customers. So really, I was brought on to really um, optimize the whole customer experience and engagement strategy. So really using um, you know everything from MPS at at store level to see how we actually improve the journey. But more importantly, also really how do we actually make any contact that we have with the customer? much more relevant uh, in terms of our offering and personal. So, um, you know, throughout my career, I've had the opportunity through American Express to once again uh, lead customer engagement um, and the loyalty program to really start to um, have much more effective communications and relevant, um, um, you know, personal offerings to them. So it was a kind of a natural step for me to say, oh my gosh, you know, um, when we look at clothing and oh, when we look at the fashion industry, um, 
it was one industry for me that was interesting. Uh, it had all of these, I guess, global um, problems attached to it that needed to be solved around people and environment and the uh, system itself. Um, but it it is an industry that is really has never really effectively utilized technology at all. You know, I was just thinking the other day as well, it just reminded me, um, there is a core tool within the industry that's been used for centuries. And it, and how it looks and how it functions, and I'm talking about the sewing machine, has not evolved. You yep, know, Michael. yes, we have electrical versus, you know, um, the pedal style automation to, yep. um to sew the garment, but it really has not evolved. How we actually make clothing, um, there is there is a little bit of digitize, digitization that has happened around being able to print um, patterns onto um, different fabrics uh, in, in a digital way, which is great. Uh, there is some levels of efficiency that are being used in terms of um, cutting um, the actual fabrics for for different patterns. There is, as I said, um, there is very little that it's been done in the personalization area. Um, and ultimately, um, you know, e-commerce brands obviously um, have been introduced and there is a significant amount of volume being sold through um, e-commerce fashion, fashion brands, but it's all about just selling stuff. The only sort of innovation that I've seen not being in the industry is more of a tech-related thing, which was, I think it's a brand out of Japan where they'll custom make bespoke clothing for your body type that you, I think you put on like a, a, a bodysuit that they take a photo of, and that helps them get measurements of your exact body, and then they can make t-shirts or clothing exactly to your specification. But that's the only thing that I've seen. Yes, there. Um, in terms of the personalization area, there is... And even, um, I, and I have heard about that one, um, and you can now go in, you know, the gyms utilize them in particular, you can do full body scans. So our ability now to digitally capture, uh, a ter- you know, the measurements of the human body is definitely not a, you know, um, a thing of the past. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing is you don't actually need very many measurements to yep. actually create um, customized clothing, um, it, you know, obviously it's very different if you're looking to have, you know, um, a wedding dress made where you're wanting something that's true, you know, really tightly fitted. But if we're actually just looking at, you know, a pair of pants um, to actually make custom pants, you only need a few measurements. So you basically need, you obviously need the waistline, um, you know, the length. That's tailored to you. Um, you uh, you need to measure the um, torso in terms of you know from the belly button to the the groin area. I'm not saying that very eloquently, um, That's but okay. you know. So some people like to have a lower waist or a higher waist, um, the hip area. So you actually and and I think that's the interesting thing. You know, in order to transition to personalization, you don't actually need a tremendous amount of measurements. You know, you basically need for any one garment, you know, depending on whether it's a dress or a shirt or a top, 
But, but for the average thing in our wardrobe, we really need, um, you know, eight to 12 measurements, if that. Okay. So the ability to, um, you know, even to have the customer measure themselves or to use a digital tool for measurement um, and to transition to that is, is you know, uh, can definitely be done. And there are different tools out there now and we've explored um, some of them whereby, you know, through using custom algorithms, you can actually enter in your, your height and your weight, your body shape, um, and then the system actually calculates your body um, measurements for those key for those key areas, and then you know you can adjust them if you need to. And that's something you've implemented in Simple Chic. Uh, that is something that we've actually built into the next um, the next um, round of functional specs that we uh, uh, are looking to do. At the moment, we find uh, that the makers that we use uh, on our platform and customers. Um, it's also not difficult to, you know, even have a virtual call with the customer and to help them take their core measurements or to yeah. actually do that in person. Because once the measurements are captured, assuming uh, that the individual doesn't, you know, obviously uh, change physique too much, um, you know, you have them and, you know, they can be retained on the customer uh, customer's file. Thinking about um, that experience you had in that corporate world and now, tackling the challenges and these new challenges effectively for most people because they don't really understand what's happening in the fashion world. What sort of learnings did you take when you're building that platform? Like, Have you had one iteration, one version that you've built on or was there similar to other co-founders, you had the first version, it wasn't right and you've pivoted and moved forward? Yes. So we, um, the first um, MPV that we had done um, and had developed was looking at um, providing uh, customers an opportunity uh, through a very simple uh, platform to actually start to have the choice to actually customize their own clothing. So we ended up actually just taking um, some cool uh, garments. So what we ended up using was really just starting off with two dress types. So um, a shift dress and a wrap dress. And we, uh, through the platform, the customer was enabled to choose their fabric um, type, choose their fabric color, um, as well as being able to choose um, a selection of different um, attributes about the dresses. So, for example, they could choose a neckline that might be um, anything from a V-neck or uh, a square neck to um, a boat neck. Uh, we also allow the customers to be able to obviously choose the length of the skirt or, um, or the dress of this, the skirt of the dress, um, as well as allowing customers to uh, choose uh, different sleeve types. So that's where we started, just with uh, through our um, MPV, just starting with um, a couple of garments where customers were able to actually personalize um, um, the garment based on their needs. Um, and uh, through that personalization process, um, then basically go to, you know, shop. Uh, the, the platform would automatically recalculate um, the cost of the garment based on what was selected in terms of fabric type and so on. And we actually um, found a partner that we partnered with in um, Mantua Sewing Studio in Queensland uh, 
to support us um, locally in producing those garments. Um, the next reiteration of that um, that we are in the midst of was looking that at then not just giving the customer the choice to customize their own clothing. Um, so similar to, you know, um, and I, I think this is also allowing allowing the customer in the driver's seat, you know. Okay. Um, similar to how we've allowed the customer in the driver's seat um, with publishing. So, you know, publishing was all, always, um, you know, only available to the professionals. So publishing, you know, Adobe um, had very much the monopoly in that space uh, through their creative, you know, in design, uh, Photoshop and so on. And now with the introduction of Canva, you know, um, we've, we've basically democratized uh, publishing. So we believe that the, there is an opportunity for the customer uh, to also become the designer of their own clothes and not to have to wait um, and in the hope that they're going to be able to find um, what they want in this next drop of the latest fashion or what's already um, out there. Okay, so it's giving more flexibility to control more of the perimeter or start with a blank slate and then design. Absolutely, because invariably the customers, when they look, when women are looking to shop, they usually have something in mind. And they know over time what actually works for them and what necklines or lengths might be best for them. The problem being they can't get to that. Uh, they have to basically go through this trawling of, you know, uh, screens in the hope that they might find what they're looking for or whether hopefully Google search engine might work to their advantage. But invariably they might find something near what they want but invariably, um, you know, uh, even if they buy it, they still need to have it altered, which is an additional cost. Or even if they do find it, it's not in the color that they want. So we believe yep. um, there is an opportunity to really democratize fashion. At the moment, it might surprise you to learn that 60% um, of the clothing that is designed for women is designed by men. I did not know that. You know, and the so the women's the the apparel industry is worth you know well over you know three trillion dollars globally. Okay, well, and you know, with women consuming as much that as they consume, to not really have input in that, and certainly there are a number of aspirational women, um, independent women designers who would like to be able to break into the industry. Um, but unfortunately, it takes it takes money and the current model just is not set up for success. So the current model is about actually producing a small range in the hope that it might sell. And then if that small range doesn't sell, then you know it's another further capital outlay um, to be able to get that next. So it's very iterative and very you know re um, financially um, um, very financially difficult to hungry, set up and roll out. Um, so, and you know, sadly, with you know, female entrepreneurs, as you may be aware, um, when it comes to funding and investment, um, only three percent, if that, um, investment 
um, goes goes to females. I didn't so, know that. That's that. Well. <laughs> so we're not really, um, you know, set up to give women what they want um, in terms of supporting them in, you know, establishing a, a women's line um, of their own. Uh, so unfortunately, you know, with um, the current model being very much a profit at all cost um, for a few, um, but truly at the cost of ultimately many people um, yep. as well as the planet. Yes. I don't so think many really people t- know about that positioning and the approach that the industry takes and, and the effort required to try and break into it. Sorry, can you repeat that? So I was saying, I don't think a lot of people understand of how it actually operates and how, say, most men design women's clothes or it requires such a huge capital outlay to try and break into the industry as a new designer. Absolutely. Um, that's, it's, it's, you know, very financially, um, you know, to produce a clothing locally, only 3% of the clothing that we wear in Australia is actually produced in Australia. Yeah, I can imagine it's mostly overseas in the lower wage. It market comes from over, you know, it comes from overseas. Uh, so you have ninety, ninety-five, more than ninety-five percent of clothing coming from offshore, and the clothing that does arrive into Australia, on average, um, the cost of that to retailers is less than five dollars. Well, so it's a very highly competitive market. So for new independent designers to be able to, you know, if effectively grow and prosper um you know they're kind of um restricted in terms of the um what they can actually charge for the garment in terms of its value if it's produced locally and it's produced with quality fabric so the whole industry really does require this entire a systemic change um versus in in terms of the business model itself and that's why we really stepped back to um to really relook at it, and, that, and and when we started the business, we really wanted to create. And if you look at the end-to-end supply chain and how complex it is, and we felt that we needed a systemic approach to really be able to change that we wanted to create um, in the world, basically. Yeah, it, it's a really unique challenge you're trying to break through and, and fight against the establishment there. So just touching back on sort of your, like your MVP and that initial approach, did you talk with stakeholders or was the two garments selected because that's the relationship you had with that sewing lab, that that's what they could make? Or did you talk to stakeholders and have customers come in and give you their opinion on what direction to build and how did you validate the, the idea of the MVP? Yeah, so we ended up um, speaking to a number of the customers and we felt that the the most common garment in a in a and the simplest garment in a wardrobe for women um, you know, was a dress. It's just one piece that you actually just throw on and that's it. And you might accessorize uh, with it. Um, but it's also um, one of the more complex pieces because it does actually require, um, you know, the right fit and the right right shape. Um, so we wanted to actually just start off with a single garment um, versus, um, you know, starting with skirts and tops because of the um, the more variables that you would actually have in those in those two pieces, so it was really starting um, um, you know with something at the at the foundation foundation level. 
And did you end up talking to end customers before you built the MVP to see if this is something they would use? Or did you yes, have so sort of some experience in the past? Yeah, no, absolutely. So one of the first things that we I had done was obviously coming back from a research and insights perspective throughout my career and having sat through, you know, 300 research groups globally and lots of quant studies. So customer is always at the, at the forefront. So, you know, I ended up actually also just engaging with, you know, um, uh, six to eight women, um, all different shapes and sizes. And I worked with them in terms of customization of a few different clothing pieces to really understand what their challenges and needs were. And, and there, what we found is that there are certainly some universal, universal needs. So it doesn't matter, you know, if you're a petite size eight or if you're a larger, you know, uh, body and height. Um, women seem to experience all the same core issues. And even if we look at, and this is the problem with with sizing, so even if you look at one size, and there's numerous studies that have been done in the UK as well around this. So even within one size, um, there is still, in particular for women, because we have different you know, some uh, some women are more welling down. Some have smaller hips, larger hips. So even if you're a particular size eight, or whether you're a size twenty, there is a mix of different body shapes within those sizes, and the body shapes are just not catered to. So although you know you might uh, fit into a size eight, and it might sit well with you at the top, but your hips it might not sit well on your hips, or the length yeah. might be too long. So size is very a very one-dimensional way to actually look at it and is based on a fit model um, uh, for, for the purposes. And it's usually an hourglass shape, um, and okay. which only represents, you know, a percentage of, of, the, of the people there. So we worked with different women and worked with a particular um, as, um, a tailor and street seamstress um, who was amazing to really – understand um, the needs of the women's bodies um, across the spectrum of, you know, body shapes and sizes. Yeah, and then with that very data-driven approach, um, was it easy to sort of specify what your KPIs were to say, all right, this MVP is a success, let's move forward? So for us, it was um, two things. We wanted to make it really, um, really simple um, for the tool to uh, the tool that we created to be really simple to engage with because customer experience or you, that user experience had to be at, at the core. If it was complex, um, it was never going to work. So for us, really the two key indicators were ease of ease of use um, in terms of, you know, there not being any barriers to uh, through that journey. Um, and the second piece was also just in terms of being able to, and this was the challenging piece, being able to um, also have something that we could, you know, scale so that we were building something that um, that could actually grow and evolve versus, you know, creating code and then having to dump it and start from scratch. So we, you know, and I guess given my background having um 
you know, worked with a, a lot of engineers and developers over over time through um, and user experience, you know, being at the core. What we wanted to um, ensure is that from the outset, we clearly defined what our functional needs were and how that would be for the different personas and so on versus just going um, and not doing the due diligence at the front end. Yeah, and which, that methodical approach is, is important for anyone listening out there. It's identify ab- who your stakeholders are, understand what value they're going to get out of the system and how you're going to address that. And then, like you said, create those core functional requirements to deliver that value. The absolutely. rest of the stuff can go, can add in and grow and it will change after you release and get feedback. But that core functionality is key to getting that first version out and having it deliver value and be usable. Yes, and what we found then is that with the the first MPV that we did and the scope that we had, um, we could actually then look at um, evolving that to um, its next phase so that we can actually start to use um, custom algorithms to be able to uh, serve up um, through a recommendation engine um, the most optimal types of um, attributes of the dress uh, that would suit that particular customer. So making it even easier, so giving the customer the option to either be able to, just like they do in Canva, be able to, with a simple tool, actually design their own dress, you know, by giving them some uh, choices of customi- customization choices, um, but also by asking them some, at the second reiteration, asking them a core set of questions around their personal preferences, their you know, physical needs, as well as their measurements um, to be able to then, for them to enter in, you know, and fill in a short uh, questionnaire with their uh, personal details of measurements, as I said. And then for this, um, for the tool and the technology to be able to then, you know, serve up um, a recommendation. So, for example, if a um, woman, um, you know, had a particular skin type, um, you know, may uh, maybe more olive skin, uh, and they may be more heavy, heavy chested, and have a smaller hips. Uh, the recommendation engine would know that you know these color colorways are better suited to uh, this uh, skin color, um, knowing that the lady might be more um, heavier chested and maybe broader shoulders. Um, the custom algorithm up the back would actually know what necklines would, you know, be more flattering uh, for that body okay. shape. Because ultimately, what the custom algorithms are trying to do is with anybody is just create balance. Because mm-hmm. that's when garments really look yes when they fit, but also when there is just balance and harmony um, with the clothing that actually goes onto a particular body. Mm. Okay, that's. It makes sense when you explain it that way. Now, having gone through all this journey and understanding trying to break into an industry that's probably very difficult to try and change and educate, for anyone listening out there that may be trying to approach a similar thing in their own industry or in a similar industry potentially, do you have any sort of key piece of advice on how to get in and make that MVP from your own experience? Yeah, I, I think you just have to... For me, it was always about solving a customer problem um, or solving a customer, you know, need. 
Um, it just so happens that the the customer need that we were trying to solve um, in this particular industry, the industry had already a lot of baggage with it and just needed to be and is currently being disrupted in terms of just how these products are you know created and the impact that they have. So um, my recommendation would always just be, you know, start with the customer need, um, you know, uh, just being able to talk with, interview, and really get to the heart um, of what those individuals need in terms of not just the end solution, but, you know, the entire experience of how you, how they engage with your, your platform ultimately. Yep, yeah, and I completely agree with that. I, I don't remember mm. where I've heard this statement from, but I always remember it's one customer, one problem, one solution. If you focus on that, uh, then what you're delivering will work, which uh, is exactly uh, what you said, just in a different way. One customer at a time. We're not yep. we're not a mass platform, um, and you know there is a lot of conversation discussion around um, you know market fit. Mm-hmm. And I think also just, you know, the customer relationship with any organ- organization really needs to be, um, you know, two-way. So what we found is that in offering an on-demand service for clothing, so whether it's made to order something that's, you know, made outright new or whether it's um, repairing something or upcycling something, what we found in that is that one of our one of the, one of one of those services within that scope of services, um, the standout service that people actually want, um, women. The most popular service is women already have in their wardrobe a garment, and I've often said this: every woman, and you probably do too, Anthony. Every person in their wardrobe has one particular garment that they just love and they wear to death because for whatever reason, when they go to put it on, it just fits or it feels just right. And it's about how confident they feel in it when they're wearing it, the level of comfort. And that particular garment in anyone's wardrobe, and maybe if they're lucky, they've got two or three of them, um, gets worn out to death until it's falling apart at the seam. And what ends up happening with consumers, they can never find that garment again anywhere in the store. So one of our most popular services is customers coming to us and just asking for an existing garment um, to be reproduced, um, but maybe in a different colored fabric, for example. Um, And sometimes having those same garments reproduced twice. Um, Yeah, but I completely understand. I've got a favorite t-shirt and when I find one that fits well, I go all in in that shop and brand and just buy a few more so then I've got the Precise. for the next however long it is exactly and women women even more so they just and we do we wear there's and what and I I guess um if there is um you know what we would love and especially if we're trying to extend the life of clothing is for every piece of clothing that women have and men have in their wardrobe to have that same resonance with them, to have that same um, desire to be worn over and over again. And I think with the, with, with the advances of technology and what we know now, 
it's not rocket science. We are able to actually send people to, you know, the moon. We're now on technology trying to get people and things to Mars. We can communicate with robots, you know, back from Mars. My gosh, is there any reason why we should not be able to have a closet of clothing that is personal, you know, made personally for us and that we love each one of those so much that we wear them to death? That should be the destination, you know, but at the moment, even as you've said, it's kind of, we've got this whole clutter of clothing, but really there's really one or two hero pieces in there that we just, you know, can't do without. Yeah, and the others be, we really wouldn't care. Yeah, and it'd be great to get to that point. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, thank you, Mira. It's been awesome having you on the episode and chatting about Simple Chick. Um, is there, how, if anyone wanted to reach out or find out more about you, how could they do that? Oh, thank you, Anthony. Um, very simply, hello at uh, um, dot com, um, or simply visit our website simplechic.com. Um, Sorry, I said simple uh, chic. Simple chic. I made a mistake. Well, that's okay. So, chic. The word chic yeah. um, has been used in the industry uh, many times in terms of just simpl- simplicity and elegance, and the word simple in our brand name is really at the core. It shouldn't be complex. You know, clothing is one of our most fundamental needs. Um, the process and the effort to get this shouldn't be simple. So she- yep. simplechic.com. Right, Thank you. We'll put those, and we'll put those links out there for everyone when we release the episode. Excellent. Thank you so much, Anthony. Right. It's been a pleasure, Mira. Thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.